This is Brian Croft. Welcome to another edition of Trench Talk, the podcast of Practical Shepherding. And I am joined again with Jim Sebastio. Hi, Jim. Good to see you again. Good to see you, Brian. We're going to jump into a, a topic that was sent in by someone on Twitter. So again, we're grateful for those who have responded when we put the, the feelers out there. And we want to be able to honor the requests you all have about topics. We're going to get to that in a moment. Uh, just to remind you, you can go to practicalshepherding.com and find all of our resources there. Uh, we have an online bookstore. You're able to get things. We have articles, all kinds of things, even a women's ministry we have. And we encourage you pastors to point your wives, your ministry, women's ministry leaders in your churches to our website. We have an, a women's ministry that's led uh, three ladies on staff with us that are doing some really good work around this. And so I'd encourage you to to reach out to them because one of the things they're doing is is doing some some counseling and coaching for ladies in ministry. So feel free to reach out and let us help you if there's any way that we can. The topic today, like I said, was sent in, and, and this is the topic that was asked of us to cover. How do we get a church to change the culture from an events-based culture of busyness with big events to kind of an authentic community where we're walking through life with each other. Now, we want to recognize that these two things do not have to be pitted against each other. You can have a church that does big events, but actually has meaningful community in them. But the reason I think the spirit of the question, this is my interpretation, but the spirit of the question is in many churches where events, big events, drive the church, oftentimes there is a lack of community within just the relational capital of the church with one another. True, genuine community where people are part of each other's lives. So I have experienced that personally in churches, where the churches with big events, that drives the church, and it doesn't leave room for the relational side of things. Mm -hmm. So Jim, how do we want to biblically think about this first? How do we think about finding that balance to where ultimately we create a New Testament, authentic, genuine community within the church. Well, I think first of all, you have to ask, is is that something, is there such a thing as a genuine New Covenant community in the church? Or, or is church just a place you go to for an hour or two and listen to sermons and everybody sings right. the same songs, hears the same word, uh, shakes hands, maybe... Um, you know, once a year you have a barbecue together or 50 events throughout the year, whatever it is, a Friday night fun night and uh, or whatever, whatever that goes on. Is there or was there either modeled or is there discussed in the New Testament a sense of what became known as body life at some point? Is there that this is a community of people invested in each other's lives, who know about each other, who love one another? And I think the answer to that is clearly yes. That, And you can see that or build that from, from several different uh, places in the Scriptures. Uh, I think even the that whole reality of this the, the of being brothers and sisters is is one of them so that there is a family motif right uh, in the scriptures uh, that we are and, and then there the, this whole identity as uh, the body imagery members of one another every joint supplying laboring together in love to produce a maturity in the body a building up of one another letting all things be done unto edification 
uh, having a mindset of considering others more important than ourselves and then the dozens of one another one another commandments or exhortations given throughout the pages of the New Testament. Now, having said that, I think we can have an idealized sense of what that looked like. Yep, that's right. And when we, when you you look at the New Testament, it's obvious that not only was there a desire uh, uh, based upon the reality of what God has done for us in Christ, God has God has already made us one in Christ. God has placed us together sovereignly in the body, appointed each member of the body as he sees fit, given gifts in the body for the, for the edification of the body. God has done those things. But it also becomes obvious that as that's practically worked out, that there's going to be conflict in the body. There's going to be struggle in the body. There's going to be tension in the body. Um, there's going to be times when people aren't loving, where they're not kind, they're not uh, speaking well of one another, and there's fractures in the body. So you have that particularly clear in uh, in the church in, in Corinth. But you also have multiple exhortations toward patience and long-suffering and bearing with one another. You have exhortations to bear one another, and then other exhortations to bear with one another, right. and to show patience toward all. And so there's going to be conflict, there's going to be difficulty as we do this. But I think it begins by an understanding of the basic truths and theology of what God does in Christ when he sovereignly puts a body together, uh, that, that this is God's work. And I think we need, to, we need to teach that to the Lord's people. I think the second thing that we need to do is to present a vision of what we hope to see, and that is a group of people who labor together meet each other's needs, are aware of one another, pray for one another, are invested in one another. And I think that can be done on a larger scale and maybe a little bit harder. It's easier to do. I think uh, uh, this is one of the benefits of a smaller church. Uh, I don't think that you necessarily need small groups to make this happen. I think it can be done without that Mm. because it was done without that for thousands of years. Yeah. So small, the small, the, the small group idea is really a, more, a relatively novel approach uh, yeah. in church history to how to deal with first this. church history, right? Yeah, yeah. first church That's history right. goes. So it was not it was not seen as being necessary, but I think it I think it grew out of a frustration that we were just meeting together. It was just a bunch of people getting together in the same place, and then how do you build this so that in a congregation that these aren't just familiar strangers, as it were, but that I look, I can look across the sanctuary at everybody in that congregation and say, this is my brother, this is my sister, this is their name, these are their kids, these ones belong together as a unit, that's a family unit over there, I know something of their testimony, I know something of their needs. I'm burdened for them. I love them. I care for them. They, they're supported by me. They're supported in the body. How do we bring that about from the, yeah, God has done this for us in Christ, but we have to maintain this or labor to build this up in a, in a practical way? So I think that Acts 2 and 4 come to my mind as far as how it tangibly looks even to what this community looks like in a sense that you have people who are meeting each other's physical needs uh, and bring it, you know, that, that picture of everybody was bringing the proceeds to the apostles' feet mm-hmm. and nobody was in need. To your point, uh, 
strangers that you come together with for church once a week aren't going to do that for each other, mm. that idea. Right. You know, you brought up that idea of family, which I think is a very helpful image for us as we think about what does it mean to have real, authentic, honest community with and love for one another to where we live that way, is that in a family dynamic, even you think about me- meeting needs in all kinds of ways, I mean, families, at least healthy families, want to do that for each other. And the church is an extension of what that, you know, what that should look like. So as far as an example, I, I want to share uh, an experience I've had. Before I went to Auburndale, I was on staff at a church that was a large church. I mean, it was over a thousand people. And I was on the music staff and all this, this church was driven by these massive events that took place. And there was this perception of all kinds of life and all kinds of ministry that was taking place. And there was some ministry being done, certainly, in this. I don't want to say that there wasn't. But people were, the whole church was being run ragged by so many of these massive events that we had. And in a sense, it took away a lot of times the ability to be able to have organic, you know, personal relationships, time for people to be in each other's homes, time for people to just be together in fellowship, not having to accomplish something. Was there ministry done during these events? Yeah. Was there fellowship that took place? Yeah. So it's not it's not a completely void of those things. But the spirit of the question seems to be, how do we get our the, this perspective of our people's mind out of our minds that ministry is about just doing events and mm-hmm. we, things we do? And maybe it is tied more to just the community that exists, the close-knit community that exists, and the ministry kind of pours out of that. So, Jim, what have you found in your own church that – I know you haven't been a terribly event-heavy church, although you've done some events and things. Yeah, we're not. But but how have you found that being fostered in your church, that kind of authentic community he's, he's describing? Yeah. Well, the first thing I want to say is that you, 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 you can't – you're not going to be able to just. There's not a formula. There's not simply a formula to follow, right. and it's going to. You're going to. You're going to have to have people that want this and that really want it to the point of 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 doing the hard work of having that come to come to pass. And so I, I have found generally that where this community is produced, that several things are happening together. One of them is hospitality, mm-hmm. that uh, that there are folks who are willing to open their home and who will open their home to newer people or to people rather than say, hey, we, well, we have a lot of people over, but it's the same people or the people they most naturally click with. And we've done this in the past where we have helped and facilitated it. We actually, we, we have had in the times the deacons put together a hospitality list and just say, so that we would say, you sign up on a given date. So like say this Sunday, it's the Sevastio family that, that does that. So we would do one of two things. We would, or we would do two things. We would look for visitors, first time visitors and say, hey, hi, if you, you know, do you have a place, particularly if they're from out of town, would you like to come over? We've got plenty of food. We'd love to have you over. And then look for people that we've not yet had over that mm-hmm. are attending the church or that we haven't had over in a long time. And so that there is there is, there's some hours together, meals together that we can uh, to, to be together. 
That's so good. I think that's one of the things that we do. Uh, so I think purposeful, intentional hospitality needs to be fostered. And again, you can help that. Maybe again, say, hey, you know what? We need, we're going to create a hospitality program. And these two families are responsible this week and these two families, whatever it is, so that those kinds of, of interactions you're, you're helping to facilitate. Fellowship meals, regular fellowship meals following the Lord's Day, following the Lord's Supper to then come together. And what we've done is to encourage people, sit with somebody you don't know. Um, if there's somebody you haven't gotten to know yet, sit, sit with them. I think those are, those are a couple of things. I think we, we need, uh, I have found personally in our church that those who come to prayer meeting are those who tend to know each other the best or most invested. Okay. And because we pray through the flock together as a part of that, they know best what's going on in the life of the church. So uh, if if you have a prayer meeting, if you don't have a prayer meeting, to have some time where you all get together and and meet together for prayer, I think can be something that's really, really uh, important. I think another thing that you need to do is to be able to just openly exhort and preach on these things. So if you've yeah. never preached through the one another's. Preaching, yeah. Uh, do a series of messages uh, on the on the one another's. If you're burdened for this as you're preaching through the epistles, look for it and see it and expound it and, and, and apply it. Those are all great things. I think we have to – I need to add one thing to that, I believe, that makes all of that effective, and that is – you have to have meaningful conversations and dialogues with each other. Right. You've got to be intentional about how the conversations go. Mm-hmm. You have to be intentional about taking risks to open your life up to other people so they will then open up. We can do fellowship. We can do these things. We can even be hospitable, can't we? Right. But be superficial. Right. So I agree with everything you said, and I know you agree with what I'm adding to this, but that... All those things, a church can can try these things, but we have to rely on people taking risks to open themselves up to people. Yeah. And so one of the things we do, Brian, when we have people over, and, and again, this has been publicly encouraged, uh, ask, and sh- ask about and share testimonies uh, so that if you're having somebody over for the first time, don't just find out you know what kind of sports they like and what kind of food they like and vacations and where they work and where they went to school, but have an idea of how the Lord has been working in their lives. Uh, and even d- uh, intentional questions, uh, you, uh, what's the Lord been teaching you? Uh, where's God been really plowing up your heart? Or, you know, even, you know, what have you been reading lately that's been helpful? Where have you found yourself particularly challenged? Mm-hmm. Uh, th- those kinds of, of areas or those kinds of things I think can be very helpful and again, as you said, I think if, if you make yourself vulnerable and to say, you know what, you know, I, I've been struggling here. I felt a bit dull here, but, I've, you know, I've, I've recently been asking God to deal with me in this area, that that tends to have an, an opening up of somebody saying, me too, I, I, I've, been, I've been wrestling in that way too. And then maybe some kind of, a, uh, of, of good and wholesome accountability can come as a result of that. Well, we've said this on the here before, but he's repeating again in this moment. This starts with the pastors. So you can't encourage your people to be open, vulnerable, uh, to share hard things if you're not willing to do that as a pastor. Yeah. So when a pastor asks, how, how do I create this culture in, in our church? Well, you actually can't if you're not willing to lead in this way. 
And then I also want to say, Brian, you're not going to be able to do that if you don't make this a matter of prayer. This is there's there's an element of this. It's going to be the Spirit's work, and and, and you you got to be careful because you don't want to just get up and and you know wag your finger and fuss at people that you know you all aren't investing in each other and uh, I try and we tried this and we tried that. And not all of this is going to work with every with every particular flock. You need to know your flock. You have an older flock. They're probably not going to come out on Friday night and, you know, watch a movie together and then have a discussion afterwards, you know. Yeah. Uh, so how how am I going to, given the congregation that I have with everybody's busyness and everybody's involved or uh, they've never done it this way before, I think, you know, it's the Word and, and the Spirit. Those are the, those are the peculiar dynamics of the church. That's where we have that a neighborhood gathering, a neighborhood association or – a PTA or the baseball team club or whatever, all these little communities, you can be a part of the gym community, the athletic community, the social life community. What makes it different is that we have the Spirit of God and we have the Word of God to lead and guide us. And we are asking the Lord to, to, to bring ties of love so that we might be able to say something, it might be able to be said of us as was said of the church in Thessalonica, the love of every one of you all for each other is abounding. That's, a, that's an amazing statement. Uh, every member loving every member. Uh, and again, you read the whole of the letters, First, Second Thessalonians, it wasn't without difficulty. You know, so Paul has to say at one point, you know, strengthen the ones who are weak, uh, exhort those, I think, who are idle. But then he says about being patient with all. Mm. So recognition, again, there's going to be – there's. it's not without difficulty yeah. uh, in that congregation. Well, and to your point, what you articulated is the work of the Spirit. So we can encourage hospitality. We can do fellowship dinners. We can try to facilitate and, and be a model and example of being open and honest and vulnerable and, and with with way we share and encourage other people to do that. But this has to be a work of the Holy Spirit in a church. So when a in question an answer to our prayers, right? So if we won't pray for it and we want to ask for it, that's right. We ought not to anticipate God will give it to us. So in in the spirit of how do I as a pastor, how do I change the culture in my church towards this? Well, you can do things, but it has to be a work of the Spirit through praying that God would work in those. Yeah, in the midst right. Like and, that. and you change the culture by, by prayer, by the Spirit of God working, and then also working through His Word. And so this is on the radar. It becomes a part of our life together that that they're, that you're aware of. That brothers and sisters, you're going to hear me say certain things. Uh, I, I'm I'm going to be beating this drum a lot, or you're going to see this a lot. This is repeated a lot in the scriptures, and so that's why I'm burdened about it. And you may say, "Well, well we're we're tired of hearing it." Well, you're going to if we're going to preach through the New Testament, we're going to hear this a lot, and at times and again in a way that that doesn't frustrate or a way that doesn't humiliate. You don't want to just get up there and say, you know, we're a complete failure. I'd give us an F with this. And some of y'all are worse than others. I could give you an F minus minus. I would, you know, that, that doesn't ever help anything to talk that way to your congregation. Do you know a lot of pastors that talk to their congregation Uh, like that? I know some. Okay. 
I know some, or at yeah. least I get reports. Yeah. I get reports sometimes from ch- churchmen asking for help because they have pastors like that. Yeah, just, it, curious. just do- it just doesn't help. It doesn't help to to browbeat or to humiliate. Oh, I, I or, totally or to agree. Sh- or to shame, and but we can get frustrated. I mean, that's my point: is that after a certain period of time, if if things don't don't change right away, so we we need some degree of patience. But I think again, Brian, I think we need to lead the way. I think we, it is right to try to create some environment, but I think I think the best environment of those are the most natural ones, and that is, hey, let's stay together after church and let's let's fellowship with each other, let's encourage uh, uh, getting into each other's homes to the point where it becomes delightful and people want to do that and look forward to doing that. Um, let's get together and pray. Um, so when you get together and pray and you pray by name for one another and you pray for each other's needs, I don't think that should be the, maybe we can talk about this sometime, how to do an effective prayer meeting. That shouldn't be the preeminent part of your prayer meeting. I think we ought to have kingdom concerns and broader elements in our prayers that it's not just I'm having this trouble and so-and-so needs a job and Aunt Millie is going in for surgery and uh, but we get, but we do begin to pray for each other, carrying each other before the throne of grace. We have a means by which we can communicate with one another our love and care, and, and God blesses that through the Word and, again, by the Spirit. I think there's a last thing we need to address, though, in this conversation, and that is what will not go over well in most of these churches that a pastor would try this is to just show up and say, so we're not going to do any more events. We're just going to have fellowship together and be hospitable. There's a lot of, matter of fact, I had a meeting with a pastor earlier that is feeling the pressure of those who just want to be busy doing something in the church Mm -hmm. because they're used to these projects and events that exist. So I I would encourage pastors to uh, to continue to have events. That events is not the enemy, but it's when they overtake trying to foster these other things in it. So I think here's a practical tip uh, to try to accomplish this. Do some events that have some meaningful fellowship built in that will accomplish it. So for example, we do a work day a couple times a year. What that means is we have this big old historic building that we have uh, on a Saturday. We all come together to do a bunch of work on the building. It needs to be done, repairs, cleaning, all that kind of stuff. But what happens historically on these times is we we put people together to go work on projects together that we want to have fellowship and get to know each other. Tricky. And it's uh, it's been widely fruitful, yeah. both in accomplishing a project, which is what some people just want, right? But it fosters fellowship. We have we do this, and then we all come together, have lunch together afterwards. There's some really sweet fellowship that happens on on a work day for us. And there are other ways to do evangelistic events and other things where you actually team people up together to where there's fellowship that can happen within these events. Try to find creative ways to do your events in such a way that there's actually ministry within people's relationships that takes place. Hmm. Any final word, Jim, on this idea? I guess my final word is just uh, don't grow weary in well-doing. If you don't see the fruit of it, uh, immediately, uh, keep looking to the Lord. Be thankful for small gains. Uh, look for uh, look for things to be hopeful. Look for things that are, are going to encourage you. 
but have an accurate biblical vision of this and, and not a vision given by you know, a, a seminar you went to or a book you read and it, it creates something that may be unrealistic uh, just because it happened in one fellowship. Look for what the Bible describes, because what the Bible describes are pretty potent and powerful. Stick to that. Be exegetical. Be prayerful and, and then be hopeful in the midst of that and thankful for the uh, little by little uh, progressive steps that are being made. Well, let me pray in that to that end then. Lord, would you work in the lives of pastors trying to foster this community in their church? We pray, Lord, your spirit would be at work as they pray, as they ask you to work. Bring authentic, loving, sacrificial, open relationships among these flocks. And we pray the pastors would be uh, courageous to lead in these ways. And we pray you would transform the culture of churches by the work of your spirit through these efforts, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.